Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind what's the collar. What's behind the collar? Oh. What, what, are you, <laughs> what are you doing? Try it again. Oh, I, I'm on my head now because Peter says I'm too loud and I'm getting into Vickers' microphone, so I'm trying to protect my microphone. And then it, then it got me... They don't know that, though. Well, they do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that how we do our show production, is we talk about it and what are we doing on the show today? Yeah, um, let's have a production meeting right now, guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Speak up, Vicker, okay? You got well, it. Well, I'm Berg, and that's I'm Bullhagen. Bull- I'm Bullhagen. And welcome to the show. And welcome to the show. Yes, episode two hundred and thirty something, right? We will yeah, get the hang of right. this some someday, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll get there, but then we'd have to change the name of the podcast. It just have to be clerical, That's the true. clerical podcast, clerical success or something. <laughs> uh, so how you how you doing, Berg? Good, good. You fired up? Get getting there. A little tired. Um, still kind of recovering from that conference uh, with the women in um, Minnesota. So oh. that, that... <laughs> what, you you state? Whoa, 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 whoa. I love Do you want to elaborate on that, that one? <laughs> well, yeah. Hannah invited me to it, and it was, it was good. Remember, we were supposed to go up to uh, University of Minnesota Chapel, right? Yeah, yeah. Way right, back in yeah. the day. So you, you did a pre- presentation at a, at a women's group. Yep, and they were okay. There we go. That's yeah. A- <laughs> it all works. Oh. Hey, well, we're gonna do. We're gonna. I, I'm gonna set you up. I'm gonna set you up for this because we haven't done a dedication in a long time. Today's show yes. is dedicated to the women of Minnesota. Why, Berg? I am so lost. I don't know what's going on. Here. <laughs> I don't so. know. So, <laughs> all right. And what do you guys have to drink? Well, Vicar, some sparkling water. So I've got a Gatorade Zero. And uh, Vicar started drinking before we started recording, so... Sorry. He brought whiskey, and he poured himself, and he started drinking it, and he's like, Vicar, wait for the show, man. <laughs> hey. Vicar. I wasn't pre-gaming Cheers. or anything. Cheers. Oh, there you go. Hey. Nice. I see the Maker's Mark, and... Is what, Vicar, what did is... you bring? What, what did you bring? Yeah, it's called Baron Jaeger. It's a, a honey bourbon. Ooh. Is it sweet? It is very sweet. It tastes just oh, like okay. honey, like you're drinking honey. Baron Yeager, yeah. that's because that's, uh, bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. The yeah, name would is, suggest that it's German. What's well, going on? It is imported, so it's not true bourbon, but it is whiskey. I it's suppose an imposter. Just, that should be illegal. It's you know They have so laws, Vigor. <laughs> well. For, for example, Leek, you can't call, uh, um, uh, oh, what's the one whiskey that everyone talks about? That's from uh, Virginia. Oh, apple bottom jeans. Yeah, with the the boots with the fur. No, I'm talking about uh, <laughs> um, like the famous <laughs> American whiskey, like the most famous of them. You're not talking about Jack Daniels, are you? Yes, that's from Tennessee. That's from Tennessee. Okay, they can't call that bourbon because it's not from Kentucky. They don't call it bourbon. I know they can't. Right. Because it's not from. Right. Kentucky, but apparently, if you're German, you're above the law. Absolutely. It's it's kind of like existentialism. It only hmm. comes from the existentialism, re, you know, region in France. Otherwise, uh, everything else is just sparkly anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Baron Jaeger. That's yeah. that's German for a Jaeger that can't have children. No, that's uh, <laughs> a bear, bear hunter. A bear hunter. <laughs> <laughs> What is it? Bear Hunter. Bear Hunter. I'm oh. sure the listener is more familiar with Jaeger, and this is uh, not that. Okay. You good, Oh, uh, Yeah, we should actually have a segment on this show where Bullhagen tells us what he thinks a German a, a German word is and what okay. it means. This is, this is a bad idea because you're prompting him. He will never try to give the correct answer. Yes. yes, that is true. <laughs> Which makes it great content. In no way would he ever attempt. He would just be like, I don't know, what's the weirdest thing I can come up with? It's a type of cheese, actually. <laughs> yes, like uh, like Farfanugan. Doesn't you know that word? I've heard of it, yeah. 
from the Volkswagen commercial. Originally, that comes yeah, yeah. from uh, snuggling someone who has gas. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a Three Musketeers bar that's really far away. Oh. <laughs> All right. We should probably, like, I don't know, <laughs> give the people what they didn't pay for, which is, like, I don't know, some theology maybe. Sure. Somewhere along the line. Sure. Uh, uh, Vicar, what are we preaching on? What am, what am what? I preaching on? The only one here who's actually preaching on it. You are preaching on the Gospel of Luke. Do you want me to go ahead and read it? Um, can do you know this parable well enough to give a synopsis? The synopsis of this is the it's the parable of the Samaritan. So is it a good Samaritan, a bad Samaritan? Sorry, the good Samaritan. Okay, this is where Jesus recounts a parable concerning a man who was beaten and left on the side of the road, who is then passed by uh, by several people, including a priest, um, and then he's finally picked up by the good Samaritan and brought to um, an inn where he's taken care of. Yeah, and uh, Jesus answered the question, uh, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers that question. Yeah. So, so uh, any thoughts do you have, Berg? Yeah, you know, I this- think with the parables, it's always really important to know who is Jesus talking to, and I think we covered the why, right? Um, it's to the question, who is my neighbor? But the question behind the question is, how can I be justified? Right. Right? Because this guy is right. seeking seeking to justify himself, right? And yeah. so, yeah, I think that's, uh, it's not, you know, parables don't just happen in a vacuum, right? Um, yes. They actually have context. They're actually historical. They actually are told to particular people. And I think that actually helps in the preaching of it, right? Because um, depending on who you're talking to, uh, this parable... Can really sting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know. At first, I had a when I was first a pastor way back when, I did have a tendency to talk about the fact that uh, it's good to be a neighbor because obviously the good Samaritan is Jesus who 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 helps this man who promises to come back who pays the price is truly the good neighbor certainly, but at the same time there is as we are justified in Christ. There is an aspect of being a good neighbor to other people. Yeah, and I mean, this is actually what I'm preaching on on Sunday from uh, Romans twelve nine. What does it mean to be a spirit, you know, a living spiritual uh, slaughter sacrifice? Right, mm-hmm. because that's that's the part that comes right before uh, the text that is appointed to preach for me anyway, um, and it talks about being godly. Right, all of these things like uh, don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, be hospitable, um, abhor the evil, uh, love what is good, uh, be of the same mind toward one another. Right, all of these things that uh, Saint Paul actually is admonishing and exhorting the Roman congregation to do. Um, so it's yeah, there is such a thing as sanctification. Yeah. So. So uh, I, I have uh, something I would like to read. I was uh, looking at a Walther sermon. He's generally kind of known for distinguishing long gospel vicar. Correct. Yes. Um, and uh, I thought, I, I thought uh, for a perspective, I would like to read the beginning of his sermon on this text. And uh, I'm going to do something we've never done before, Peter. What's that? I, I wanted to give Walther a real talk. Well, okay, in what? Oh, we're having the person talk. Yeah, I know, but like, yeah. what's different? It goes. We've real done. We've done real talk. talks before. <laughs> yeah, that. I'm aware of how it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wants you I, made, to... <laughs> I made the line. <laughs> he wants you to put. <laughs> yeah. He wants so, you to put it behind the, the, uh, yeah, Walter's goes, quote. He goes real talk. Like that. Yeah. The yeah, difference yeah, is like, that it's not me or Berg doing. It's not our words. This is Walter. Oh, okay. Walther doing the real talk, bro. Walther doing the real talk. Okay. Yeah, no okay. cap. From beyond the grave. To... Okay, sure. So how's it go again? Uh, real talk. Oh, okay. That. Sure. Okay. Real talk. Do right, shun no man. They many quite frankly say that this is their whole religion. 
Many say this, especially when the doctrine of Holy Scripture that man is saved through faith is presented. Do right, shun no man, they cry out. That is my creed. That is my guiding principle. I go according to that. I live according to that. Who will demand more of me? Now, though this sounds wonderful, this very declaration shows the miserableness of the religion of all those who have made it their motto. At least our old German forefather said, Fear God, do right, shun no man. In our day, they admit the fear God, indicating that they would have a godless religion. What else is a religion without God but a house without a foundation, a sea without water, a person without heart and soul? Is there no God whom man must fear, love, and trust above all things, and whom he is obliged to venerate, worship, and serve? Does a person have an obligation to man only? Does he not also have one toward God? Are not these his very are not these his very first and most important, his dearest and holiest duties? There can be no greater blindness than to want to be considered a righteous man, yes, a good, honorable Christian, when in reality he still lives as though there were no God to whom he is subject, and God who again God were not the creator and Lord of all men, whom man is obliged to serve. Sad to say, things have finally come to such a pass among the preachers of virtue, reason, and nature that they suppose that a person can really be a virtuous, be virtuous even if he does not concern himself about God, does not wish to hear God's word, and discontinues prayer completely, just as long as he fulfills his duty toward his neighbor. There is, however, something most unusual right here. One would naturally suppose that those who had chosen the words do right, shun no man as their motto would be blameless and perfect, at least in their behavior toward their fellow men. Observe then more closely, however, you will discover that most always speak of doing right, virtue, and good works, love one neighbors, yet they actually think of everything else but doing right and practicing virtue, good works, and love toward one's neighbor. Compare the old days when the fear of God and faith still stood in first place with the new times, when one merely says, do right and shun no man. It will not be difficult for you to decide when love and good works were practiced more now or then. True, today they build more magnificent poorhouses, orphanages, and hospitals than formerly. Yet what else are they but proud monuments, which boasting charity now erects for its own praise? True, nowadays they are so philanthropic that they would convert the prisons into the most practical, comfortable homes. They would rather not sentence a murderer to death. Now what else is the seemingly greater humaneness than contempt of sin and crime? True, that there now are now many secret and public societies who have mutual support as their main purpose, yet why have such societies become necessary? simply because no one wants to love another unless he is bound by an oath to do the same to him. Nowadays, everyone has sunken so far into egotism, self-love, selfishness, usury, and greed that no one hopes for help in times of trouble. I just like that. Yeah, I mean, okay, keep going. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny how uh, Walter talks about the old, the good old days. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Imagine how he would faint. But I do see that uh, if he thought he had it bad, imagine imagine how ever, how nowadays the religion without God has just exploded, and what it means to be a good neighbor has exploded, and uh, how being a good neighbor simply means to not offend, and how we live in a society with so much fear. Because there is no God, and the religion becomes be good, or the religion becomes a, a society, or a dogma of uh, uh, of our human culture, that it's not providing really actual good neighbors. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. That's why I liked it. Yeah, and I think he brings that up um, with the secret societies, and in his day, you know, those were the Masons and the like, right? Um that, yeah, you have mm-hmm. to take an oath to not harm another Mason, 
right? This is sort of the same sort of <laughs> mentality that the mound dwellers, the mound dweller Indians had as well, uh, where basically they thought, well, show your thoughts to no man, uh, you know, be subservient to the powerful and force the weak to be subservient to you. This is because all of the things that the Good Samaritan does in serving his beaten Jewish neighbor is an act of courage and ultimately a great act of faith. Because I think oftentimes we do not operate by faith, but by fear. Why don't we stop by the side of the road and and help somebody? Well, oftentimes we're afraid that we're going to get mugged. We're going to get attacked. We're going to get harmed. Um, Why would we uh, be kind and loving toward one another? Well, we're afraid we're going to get taken advantage of. And Walter's right, because Walter is really living at the end, and he's already beginning to see the breakdown of Christendom in his own country. And people who are just simply virtue religionists, you know, let's just be nice to everybody and, you know, reform things and that sort of thing. Those people are living off the fumes of Christianity. They're living off the fumes of faith. And that is actually what is driving their virtue is because they still have some remnant of the law uh, in their hearts. Mm -hmm. But what happens when there is no faith? Well, then I have to take justice into my own hands. And I think we we see that very, very clearly with uh, groups that attack others like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, um, even comic book things like Batman. Vigilanteism is an act of unfaith, of not faith, anti-faith. It doesn't believe that God that God will avenge. It doesn't believe that God still works in the world uh, through governing authorities. And those are our paragons of virtue today. Kids wear and and a virtue a virtue that, by the way, when you look at a grand scheme of things of society, makes a society much better. <laughs> exactly that that um, we can be because the reason why people aren't like the Good Samaritan, the reason why they do don't do what is the behaviors in Romans chapter 12 is because they don't actually believe they're going to get justice if the other person isn't that way to them. And this is why at the end of the text that I'm preaching on, what does it say? It says, you know, do not take vengeance for yourself because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And so to do these things in faith, to be this courageous and this bold, to put yourself out there, because that's what it is. It is making yourself vulnerable. This uh, this Samaritan this good Samaritan not only takes a guy who could be disguised on the side of the road and beat him up, theoretically, and take all of his stuff, he not only does he not only takes him up, but he also brings him to this this tavern, and it's not really a tavern, but you, you all kind of this hostel sort of thing, and pays for his health care and says that he'll pay even more uh, when he returns. It's like he's trusting not only that the Jewish man isn't going to you know, drink from the mini bar, so to speak. That was supposed to be funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm okay. laughing. Uh, but the Baron Yeager. But he's also, uh, you know, he's also trusting that the innkeeper isn't going to triple charge him, right? And the only way that you can act this way is if you believe that God is the one who takes vengeance, because God is also the one who is at mercy, and He's the one. And the fact, and the fact. And the fact that uh, the Samaritan, a foreigner, who gets absolutely no recognition for it, does it. Right. He is a— And while the, while the, the priest and the Levite are concerned about, well, they did not in fear because they wanted to be able to serve in the temple. They didn't want to be made unclean. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this brings us back to the beginning of the text, where Jesus begins this with a prayer. I thank you, Father in heaven, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. Because we put so much stock in being wise and prudent and in hedging our bets. And so we don't act in these ways, in these very sovereign expressions of life, these very uh, um, courageous and uh, what the world would consider reckless ways of loving our neighbor. Um, Because we don't believe that God actually has hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but he's given them to babes. Be- the babes who can't because the wise, defend themselves. The wise and prudent man 
the wise and prudent man couldn't see the contradiction in his words. When he talks about uh, loving God and neighbor, he says, this I have done so that I can enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't do those things actually out of love for God and neighbor. He did all those things for the love of himself. And this is why... Which is what the law... And this is why he asked the question, who is my neighbor, right? Because then it's like, okay, who's in my group and who's not? Who can I... uh, who can I reliably rely on, and who's an enemy? Um, and the gospel doesn't ask those questions. God doesn't ask those questions. Um, right. And it's the same question that Peter asked Jesus: How many times do I have to forgive my brother? Right. And I mean, this is where look at the babies. Right. Will no one think of the children? <laughs> right. I mean, but that's true. That's how you could actually start off your sermon. Right. Will no one think of the babies? Right? Why? Because they're defenseless, and yet, and they don't have reason, and yet God gives them these secrets. God is the one who not only uh, gives them these secrets, but He is the one who also protects them, and and gives them and faith. gives them faith and the like. Right? So that's the thing: is um, if the babies are protected, if they can reach out uh, with this sort of childlike confidence that everything is going to be all right that God does have these things in control, that we can say with St. Paul, what can man do to me? Right? Who can condemn? Mm -hmm. It is Christ who justifies. So that's the thing. It's like, well, then maybe we could actually, like, I don't know, do what we actually say we believe. (laughs) Maybe. You know. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You know, because how many people would actually do this, right? And I think that is... You look at what has happened in the United States since, you know, the 50s and 60s, when we didn't have cell phones. Um, I, my grandparents have, you know, when they, uh, in the wintertime, when the roads were closed, they actually took people into their homes. In Latimer, we opened up the church mm-hmm. uh, for people to stay uh, when, uh, when, the, when the interstate was closed. Um, you don't see that anymore. People are afraid of that. People are afraid of it. Why? Well, because they don't believe... They don't trust fully in the God who justifies, right? So that's the thing. Let's actually believe and trust that God does avenge and that we don't have to. There you go. All right. Um, How are we doing? Do you want to go into the the missile or should we go in? Uh, Why don't you pick, pick, uh, go ahead and pick one of the missile readings. All right. So let's see here. Let's do the one for Wednesday, Matthew 12, 14 through 21. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against Jesus how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. That's a beautiful connection with the the Good Samaritan, uh, because one is you have you have uh, Jesus arguing with those who are who believe that they are the true Israelites uh, and the true neighbors uh, by their fulfillment of the law and uh, their own idea and execution of justice. And then you have the Samaritan, the Gentile, who is actually the true neighbor. Mm-hmm. And uh, God showing his justice, uh, as you said earlier, uh, rather than our own sense of justice. Right. And I think th- that's exactly right. It, this actually goes well with the first part and with the second part, right? With the parable and with the prayer before the parable, because mm-hmm. he withdrew from there, yet he warned them not to make him known, right? And this goes back to what Jesus says in the prayer, you know, that, I, that this has not been made known. This has been hidden from the wise and the prudent, who are the Pharisees. And then you see the sort of love. Do, oh, go ahead. Do you think, do you think Jesus? Do you think Jesus was actually doing that for their own protection? 
I think he's doing it for their protection. Um, I think the Pharisees by this time have seen the good works of Christ. They don't care. They know that he's doing good, but they have so rejected it that they have actually committed the unforgivable sin. And so they have actually burned the bridges of repentance and are unable uh, to repent at this point. They've hardened their hearts so much that God has hardened them in return. And so he cares now about those who come to him, those who heal him, or those whom he has healed. And what does he do? He doesn't break the bruised reed. He doesn't snuff out the smoldering wick. Um, And he, he himself is working for justice, right? This righteousness. Till he sends forth justice to victory. I mean, what is that? but his own death and resurrection upon the cross, you know, his own death upon the cross and his resurrection mm-hmm. uh, to new life. And in his name, the Gentiles will trust. Obviously, this all has to do about faith, right? So uh, right. he will declare justice to the Gentiles, uh, which he does now through preachers. So, yeah. All right. So there's a segment, Vicar, that you haven't been a part of yet. It's called uh, What It Is, What It Ain't, and What It Could Be. Okay. So what do you think should happen now? Peter, play the intro. What is it? Who knows? We do. It's time for What It Is, What It Ain't, What It Could Be. All right. Let's get in there. You've got a year. I'll practice. (laughs) All right. So uh, this... uh, if you, Vicar, what the what it is, what it ain't, what it could be, is just uh, I take a, a a topic and I and I define it by what it is, what it isn't, and what it could be. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, uh, today's topic is something that uh, is never talked about. No one really thinks much about it. Uh, is close communion. <laughs> I think there was sarcasm in that. I've certainly never talked about it. <laughs> Yeah. So, but this is a fear, isn't it? Yeah. Of course. Isn't this one of like every vicar before they get their place their biggest fear? Like am I going to have to Yeah, they don't want to have to like confront anybody with bad news and they f- don't want to be the bad guy, you know. Right. Right. Or when I was a vicar, I was, you know, you know, am I going to be placed at a at a church for a vicarage where it's open communion? Uh, yeah. Right, maybe that's less a concern nowadays. But yeah, more yeah. so. See, I I think I've lived so, uh, long enough to become the villain in these things. So you know, I don't mind being the bad guy anymore. <laughs> what are you talking about? With... That's your superpower. <laughs> you either. <laughs> we have a segment called News That Bothers Berg for a reason, <laughs> right? Indeed. So uh, we'll start off with uh, what it is. What it is. It is the practice of Christians communing of the same faith together and not allowing those of a different confession to commune together, according to Christ's command. Is that a good way to word that, Berg? Yeah, it's good. So uh, um, I, I think most Lutherans who are listening are kind of know that concept, right? And, uh, and if you're not a Lutheran, now you know what that is. So uh, if you are not Lutheran and this podcast has so led you to go to a confessional Lutheran church, uh, you should, and you're not Lutheran, this will be good for you to listen to. And if you're a Lutheran who has struggles with this, this will be good for you to listen to um, as we go through this. So uh, what it is, uh, it is something that is completely consistent with what the Lord's Supper is. Do you know what I mean by that, Vicar? Yes. Well, what do I mean by it then? Our view of the Lord's Supper is entirely in accord with how the Bible describes it and how Jesus commanded for it to be done. So if you are receiving and you believe and understand, as St. Paul says, uh, why don't you go ahead and read 1 Corinthians 11. I want you to read uh, uh, 27 through 29. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. So if you if you believe and confess that when you come to the Lord's Supper, that uh, you and, and those you commune with are receiving the very body and blood of Christ, then by nature, in the reception, it's going to affect how you do that. Right? Exactly. Uh, so, for example, I think it is wholly consistent and perfectly consistent when a church that doesn't believe that you are receiving the body and blood of Christ it is perfectly consistent with that confession to let anybody who wants to receive the Lord's Supper. Right, because the, the body and blood isn't actually there. There's nothing. If it's a, a meal of remembrance or somewhere where you just take make an oath uh, before God or just that, uh, then I don't think it really matters. You know? Yeah. But if you actually believe that you're receiving... Uh, the body and blood of Christ in the Lord's Supper, then by nature of that confession, you are also then, as St. Paul says, going to then examine yourself. Okay? So, so, that, that, so that's one thing that uh, then you can learn from this, that if, if, if uh, you're at a church that says, well, we believe that in the Lord's Supper you receive Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of of your sins, and then at the same time say, but we want anybody who wants you to come, there is an inconsistency about the understanding of what is actually going on. So, anything you'd like to add to that, Berg? Nope. All right. Uh, number, uh, another thing of that is, this is something... Uh, that a pastor by oath upholds. Why is that important? Because as a pastor, uh, when you're ordained vicar, you will make an oath to administer the sacraments according to how Christ instituted it and according to the the scriptures. And if that's the case, then uh, when someone asks you to commune someone who is unable to examine themselves or who does not have that confession, they're actually asking a pastor to break the vows he made in his ordination. Right. Part of being a pastor is being a good steward of the gifts that have been given to you. And by doing that, you're not being a very good steward of those gifts by openly breaking the command that's been given to you. Yeah. Uh, another thing it is, as I get, now this is, a, I did this list literally in 10 minutes. So there's going to be some holes. Uh, um, but there's something I noticed that maybe Berg, you've noticed this too, but it is something that I think younger folks are more cool with. <laughs> yes. Have you noticed that? I have. You don't find too many people under 30, for example, who are of a different confession who are like, I'm offended right. you know, about the Lord's Supper. Right. Have you have you noticed that, Vicar? Or is that because you're a young person? Yeah, yeah, I've I've noticed that with uh, just talking to people of other denominations that it seems like, well, generally speaking, that uh, they view it as like an obedient act. So, uh, if your church does it a different way, then they're just like, oh, okay, well, that's just the way your church does it. That's fine. I don't think they actually realize the theological implications. Right. And then there's a common understanding amongst some that I think the younger people don't make this leap is, is uh, they don't have the kind, they're, they're, there's less of a holiness piety, meaning someone uh, my age and older, when they hear this, okay, uh, they're like, oh, you're saying that I'm not a Christian. Right. And I think a, a younger person would be like, so <laughs> oh, that's just like your opinion, man. Right. Ah. That's not offensive to them. <laughs> but that's something you said you've you've noticed too, uh, Berg. Yeah. Yep. I actually. Yeah. I've had way more trouble with um, boomers than with millennials on this, and it's really interesting. And this might be the next point that you bring up. I actually have more trouble with ex-Missouri Senate Lutherans 
than I do with people who are outside our confession. Right. Because uh, the understanding is, well, um, this is something, obviously I was taught this, I haven't changed, your confession has. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that brings us to another what it is. Uh, There is in closed communion a strong understanding of examining yourself as Vicar read. And so it would make no sense to believe in closed communion and then refuse to examine yourself. Um, You know, I've heard this where uh, I think sometimes uh, as Lutherans, we think, oh, I'm I'm staunchly uh, in belief and uphold closed communion, and then they don't really actually examine themselves before the Lord's Supper. Uh, that's not uh well and that's may- not gr- and maybe our listeners were never taught what ex- what self-examination what is and so maybe we want to talk about what that what that looks like how how we would yeah. do that uh the the catechism answer is is kind of threefold one is examining yourself as far as uh, am i sorry for for my sins do i recognize my sin and do i uh see that sin as being wrong and uh, against God and against his commandment. And so... But, um, but, what, but once again, like, what is sin? I think it has to go even more basic because... Right. And more foundational because, like, there are things, and we've dealt with this in pastoral care, where people feel guilty about things that are not sin. That's true. Right? So what, I guess, what defines a sin? And uh, that's another aspect of that is is when you're examining yourself to be able to understand that you kind of have to know something like the Ten Commandments. Exactly. Uh, because what is a sin uh, varies greatly from church to church and person to person. Um, and that's one of the things that I think has changed the most uh, just in Christianity in general in my 25 years as a pastor is that— uh, uh, 25 years when I was first a pastor, I think I could safely have the assumption that more often than not, that people outside of our church could at least adhere and understand to the Ten Commandments and have at least a rudimentary understanding of what the Ten Commandments mean. Maybe not 100% perfectly. But now, when you talk about closed communion and examining yourself, uh, you cannot assume that anyone outside of the people you shepherd and really have been taught in any way the Ten Commandments. Um, when you have uh, uh, people making literally making up their own Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments of this, the Ten Commandments of that, without actually talking about the Ten Commandments. Oh, your favorite um, uh, uh, GOP candidate, right? <laughs> What's that? Well, uh, didn't that... Um I can't. I can't pronounce his name. Rasha Rashwani. Oh, Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy. Yeah. Didn't he Ramaswamy. come up with like a ten ten is, commandments that he's running? Did on? he? I don't know. And the first one is God is know. real, but he's a Hindu. So my question is: Is which God? <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh. Oh, that'd be interesting. God is real, and uh, I was once a moose. Is that how that works? Something like that. <laughs> can, you, can you just read those real okay, quick? Okay, so God is real. There are two genders. Human flourishing requires fossil fuels. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is no border. <laughs> Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. Capitalism lifts people up from poverty. There are three branches of the U.S. government, not four. And number 10, the U.S. Constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedoms in history. Yeah. So, yeah, those aren't really Ten Commandments. Those are more like Ten Observations. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, you can actually you could actually say the same thing about the Ten Commandments because, you know, they are observations on how human flourishing actually happens, right? Right. Right. So, I mean, what is that? Uh, what does Alert call it? He calls it the mirror of existence or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, and I think like Jordan Peterson has kind of picked up on this 
as well, you know, and he's kind of yeah. a noble pagan. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say to our listeners out there, if, uh, if you don't have the 10 commandments memorized, that should probably be your goal here before you take communion next time. So, oh, he's standing so. behind the 10 commandments. He doesn't have them properly tabled. Yeah. yeah I, so. I, that bothers me the way he stands as though it, it, the confusion of church and state there and the way he makes hey. his political views like a like a religiosity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't I don't like Finally, it. Finally, news news that bothers Bullhagen. Oh. I like it. Yeah. Well, he sort of like just preaches to the you know, the cultural Christianity that America right. has left, which is not a whole lot. Right. Well it's it goes back to uh, imagine at right after Jesus tells the the uh parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. Well, thank you, Jesus, for sharing with us your Judeo-Christian values. They're just Christian. <laughs> right. Well, now we have Judeo-Christian Hindu values. That, that, no. Hindian values. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, and this, but this appeals to so many conservatives because, I mean, just like for the left, for mo- for a lot of people. Um, Politics is now their religion. It is their theology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, a lot, mo- a lot of people in the in the United States don't go to church on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and so and I, by the way, drives I, their. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm jumping in. Go ahead. I see this on both sides too, because there is a uh, a religious almost fervor in in Trump. Some of Trump's followers too. Yep. It's because politics is the new religion. It is. It actually is the new religion. Um, and the last time we had sort of these quasi messianic figures, um, Didn't Durant, well, was right before. Well, it was right before the Civil War. Yeah. Um, if you if you would compare the way that they talk about certain political candidates with how they talked about Lincoln or about um, slavery, for example. Um, it reached. It really did reach these sort of religious fervors and heights. So um, it doesn't surprise me that he would be rewriting the Ten Commandments to, uh, um, you know, suit his own political and really religious table. Right. And, and, the, and the, the, the thing is about so, what that makes that so dangerous is, is as a pastor, it's really easy for people to bring that kind of fervor into the church yep you know for example uh uh having the flag by the altar yeah i mean this really is the last the reason why we have flags in our sanctuaries is because we were we were a predominantly german church during the first and second world wars and and for some so, if, you, if you take I, the flag out oh you don't like america you're gonna kneel before it too no 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 there's a separation here. Well, it's kind of like um, I had one friend in Iowa who was a pastor there, and uh, when there's an old World War II guy who marched the flag up, even though the predecessor had taken it out a long time ago, so he moved it back and said, hey, we got to talk about this. His own member called him a Muslim. Yeah. So it's not just it's not just the millennials or Gen Z. um, this is something also in uh, yeah. among the greatest generation and the boomers too, right? Um, re- you know, civil religion in America really does combine combine a sort of worship of a generic god, uh, and the more generic and the more vague, the better, and um, an almost unreasoning um, protectiveness and. Accept it and acceptance of everything that our country does. So, for example, you had these sort of things during Vietnam as well, where you had people who were legitimately asking questions, is this war a just war or not? And people would say, well, love it or leave it. Right. And that's not helpful. Man, look, that's not a godly way to talk to one another. Man, those Ten Commandments, those are, that's going to bother me now for a while. It really is. Because yeah, I mean, you should actually preach on it and say, "Hey, you know, like 
this is what's going on in the grand old party because I'll tell you what, most Missouri Senate Lutherans vote almost exclusively, like we are like the Mormons in that way and that we vote almost exclusively Republican. We are, as a, as a sociological group, the Missouri Senate votes uh, even more consistently Republican than the Southern Baptist Convention. And I think, you know, these are some things we have to think about and some things we have to wrestle with. Yeah, um, because, yeah. Especially when we have candidates that, you know. There are sins on both sides. <laughs> so, and uh, really. But, but this 10 commandment, command, I'm going to get back to this because it bothers me. Because another thing it does is it actually changes knowing that a lot of those things sound, are things as Christians, some of those things are things we'd certainly agree with. At the same time, they make the Ten Commandments not for a mirror, not just as a guide, but as a way of ba- being a battering ram and a way of condemning others without actually looking at your own sins in a way that's going to further divide how people understand the Ten Commandments. And actually, that kind of Ten Commandments I see as being a danger to the people of God because it places them into, it ties a connection in their mind, well, I'm a good Christian. I want this this Hindu to be my president. I, yeah. That's, not that actually a Hindu couldn't be a good president, you know. What do you think? But we, but the, but, but the oh, go confusion ahead, of what that does to the Ten Commandments in a way that I know will be appealing to many of our members, it's not cool. That bothers me. I just got fired up. Vicar, you got some thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the the fact that he called them Ten Commandments, um, I think it's sort of demonic in, in one way that it you know, subverts what God has already said are the Ten Commandments. And so he's created his own God in his own image. And the sec- the second sort of irony is that it's a Hindu Hindu making these that, um, to an extent, I mean, Jesus is one of their you know three hundred million gods, however many there are. But still, it yeah, it's very uh, upsetting to see. And and he uses God in there. Yeah, and it's it's very purposeful that he says God because he's trying to get the the Christian voter who doesn't know any better who just hears oh here's this guy talking about God and I believe in God so I'll vote for him. And it wouldn't be nearly as bothersome, I think, if he didn't call them commandments. If he called them literally anything else, I don't think we'd be as upset. Right. If there were Ten Commandments and then also... uh, If he said the Ten Theses, whatever. Right. If you you can claim that you can speak for what God says without actually feeling comfortable naming who that God is, that's a deep trouble. That's... Yeah, if they were like the the ten theses of his campaign, that'd be one thing. But right, just calling them well, yeah, his ten commandments. Yeah, but it doesn't. <laughs> but it it doesn't it doesn't resonate with voters. Right, exactly. He's 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 still playing on the remnants of Christendom and the moral majority on the one hand. Right, and you know on the other hand, you know, unfortunately in the church we've often done the same things. Bullhagen has seen books, Ten Commandments for every new pastor in a congregation. Yeah. yeah, the ten. You know, there, there. Are, you know, there's plenty of that kind of crap going on, too, right? You know, maybe if he just renamed it, you know, chicken soup for the, for the, for the conservative soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 I just vehemently dislike the way, in his attempt to get voters, the way it injects politics into the places where it should not be in a way that I think could be effective in a hurtful way to my own members. Yeah. And you should be mad about that. It's like Vicar said, it is a demonic thing. And frankly, these are not um, transcendent rules that transcend every time and place. These are very, very historically, uh, (laughs) um, Conditioned, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, like, for example, um, the nuclear family is the greatest form of governance known to mankind. It's like, well, the nuclear family is more of like, you know, something from the Victorian age. 
uh, for thousands of years, extended families, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and the like. Um, that's been a big part of like, so that is weird in and of itself. Um, what else? Human flourishing requires fossil fuels. That's the biggest oh, one really? I have an issue with. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's pretty uh, out there. have you, yeah. Ha, it's like, do you know how long we've had fossil fuels? It, it hasn't been that long, man, but. Requires. Yeah. It's like, okay, so, so no human being flourished before, I don't know, what is it, 1837? Right. Yeah. Don't you know? See how how, really? does, how does he ma- marry this with a great Christian uh, icon of Elon Musk? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so you know, um, but I mean this th- this shows that in the church we should really be we we need to push the things that are actually transcendent, the things that act, that God has actually said, because you know we can't rely on the Republican Party to be even a generic form of Protestantism anymore. I mean, if you look at Trump's uh, religious advisors, and I mean, you know, President Trump was a man who very rarely, if ever, attended church, right? If you looked at his religious advisors, they were all Pentecostal. This is very, very different than, like, for example, uh, George George Bush Sr. and uh, George W. Bush. Uh, where it was more of a generic Protestantism, where we could, even if we disagree on, you know, some pretty big things, nevertheless, they're going to say that they believe that the, you know, Bible is God's word and the like, right? And hold to um, traditional Christian morality. Uh, but not so much with, anymore, by the way. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I, I mean, and that's the thing is, a lot of these uh, conventions have been co-opted by wokeism and the like, and I think those are things we actually have to wrestle with and we have to teach against. Or, and I think our people need to know this stuff. Like if we go too far in the other direction, right? Yeah, I mean, this is like the drunken peasant that Luther talks about, right? He stumbles from one ditch to the other ditch, right? And uh, our, we should we should always be conformed by the word of God and not by simply being anti-democrat or whatever um so our objection to both parties should always be based on god's word uh and that's why most paleoconservatives uh who actually are this way um have no real standing uh in any sort of political party so yeah whatevs as they say yeah so yeah it goes back to just you know to the people who are listening out there, one thing you can do to fight this is memorize the Ten Commandments, the mm-hmm. actual Ten Commandments. So, did you finish your Did you finish your list? I don't know if I. I'm gonna have to come back to this list. I don't know if I can recover from this. Oh, <laughs> because I'm not getting. I, you know, you're well. You're welcome for bringing this to your attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're gonna finish this list uh, next time. My uh, what it is, what it ain't. But I, I'm. I'm not in that that place right now. I can do that. <laughs> I'm the founding father of this podcast, bro. No cap. <laughs> Stop me. I'm the other two branches. <laughs> <laughs> Vicar's a twig. <laughs> He's the theoretical fourth branch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just a subcommittee. <laughs> Do you want to try and tie it up? All right. So, or do you want to, or do you want to try and tie up the the political part anyway? All right. Well, well, well. Since let's just we got a little time. Let's let's keep talking about it. Okay. Keep yeah. Keep going. All right, go, so let's go back to the parable. Just riff on that. Let's go go back to the parable. Right. Okay. The ten. What is it? The exact title of this? The ten commandments of the ten commandments of twenty twenty four campaign is what my article says here. Okay. So. The ten commandments of. The 2024 campaign. Okay, so another thing. He is perfectly, perfectly, okay? Th- I want you to, to think about this, Vicar, okay? I'm thinking. All right, so uh, uh, an expert in the law is coming to Jesus. What must I do to justify myself? Okay? Okay, I'm following. What is justice? 
What is it right? What is righteousness? Well, in order to justify justify myself before the American people, I've got my Ten Commandments. All these Ten Commandments I have kept. Number one, God is real. Is he? Which God? (laughs) Surely one of them must be. Right? And he says there are two genders, which I happen to agree with. However, if you're going to say God and not explain who that God is, how can you even say that? Well, and think about it. Okay, so he is an Indian immigrant, right? Yes. Who comes from a a very stratified society. Um, Do you know how people were created in in, uh, Hindu mythology and why you have the different castes? I don't remember. Um, yeah, so from the so um, the the Brahmin caste, the priests came from the head of of the god Brahman, and the warriors uh, came from his hands, and I can't remember if the the servants uh, came from his feet, and then I can't remember if the uh, untouchables came from. I don't remember where they come from. If it's like his excrement or something. I think that's right. But I mean, that's the thing. Is like. For 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 a lot of Indians, and if they actually believe this mythology and the way that they they actually operate in society, there's not just two genders; there are actually whole different classes of people. He talks about reverse racism is racism. It's like, dude, you you actually <laughs> your society your society actually condemns a whole segment of the population. I want to be a little, I want to jump in a little bit, Berg, not to like ruin your point or anything. He was born in the United States. He's an American. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. yeah but his parents, his parents were. I don't, his, I don't want yeah, to get his too, parents were. too deep into his culture or whatever. That's, that's. Those parents were well, uh, part of the highest class when they immigrated. Yes. So, but I mean, that's the thing. Th- this is the background in this, right? Well, yeah. And I, but yeah, you, have, you so, have to go by what he says, though. I mean. Well, okay. What does he say here? Well, if you're going to confuse church and state, and you're going to b- make the number one God is real, and you're going to insinuate that these are all uh, things that, if you believe in God, well, number one, kind of like if you shall, thou shall, you shall have no other gods before me, then all the other commandments flow from the first commandment, right? Yeah. Oh, so God is real. So obviously, God also approves of my following nine statements but how can you do that if you can't define who that god is and if that is true uh number 10 is quite enlightening when it says right the u.s constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedom in history okay analyze vicar even you can analyze that statement let me read again i'll give you some time all right the u.s constitution is the strongest guarantor of freedom in history. All right, analyze that statement. That's uh, you better not get it wrong. There's a strong sense of American exceptionalism there. Mm-hmm. Okay, what what did Jesus say? <laughs> well, Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and that all who come to Him will be set free. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. If we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if God the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. This most certainly is true. So well, and it's and it's not even true if you just talk about civil liberties either, because the Constitution wasn't in fact from 1789 up until 1864, when you know slavery was a thing. <laughs> I mean, so unless you're only talking about post-1865, but even then, um, what about Jim Crow laws, segregation? Yeah. The- so, I mean, you know, really, the strongest guarantor of liberty, right, of, li- of freedoms, freedoms, right? Well, freedoms, what does that mean? I mean, are we talking political freedom? Are we talking... Um, economic freedom? Are we talking like like what in the world are we actually talking about here? It sounds nice, but yeah, you know. <laughs> Do you know why why else this bothers me? 
Why is that? It's because, one, I talk about how this conf- obviously confuses church and state, but also is this undermines the uh, people from actually hearing the church. Because when people outside of the church, who are of a different political persuasion, hear this, guess what? We get lumped into this. Don't we? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And it further closes the—I mean, Berg already talked about people who, who, whose hearts turned cold and built up walls— uh, does this not make it harder for the church to do our work and and loving our neighbor and and giving them God's word and and uh, trying to lead sinners to repentance? When if they're outside of the church and they think, oh yeah, you're one of those, and mixing all these things with a, a fake spirituality that we get lumped into, it makes it very much. A lot harder, I believe, these type of things for those outside of the church to actually hear the word of God. Because in their minds, it all gets lumped in together. Yeah. And, and it preaches the law with no gospel. It, 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 the Ten Commandments, this God is real, and it's all going to be gospel or law, and it's all going to be this way or else. And, and that is that is one of the biggest struggles right now Uh is the fact that people, when they hear the church, who are outside the church, hear of the church, it is only the law, and it is only this kind of law. Well, and remember what Walter says about the law, too. The law does have certain promises. They're conditional promises. And, I mean, what is what are these Ten Commandments actually—what are they promising, right? What's the promise if we follow these commandments, which are really— like you said, not really commandments anyways, um, we are going to have, basically, a... Uh, the goal here, of course, is a flourishing uh, economic society where um, parents determine the education of their children, which is good, closed borders. Um, I don't know what that even looks like. It'd be interesting to see what he's thinking. Um, m- uh, meritocracy uh, and a somewhat returned to the Constitution, right? Mm-hmm. Which I'm not against any of those no. things. I mean, I think some of those things are actually, you know, they're actually, it would actually make our country better. But um, the thing is, is he, the promise is not in following any of these things. The promise is, if you elect me, I will do these things for you. Right. Right? And... I am the candidate who will not, speak up for God. <laughs> well, and uh, and in all for all intensive purposes, actually be God, right? Yes. I will give you what you want. I will give you um, your human flourishing, your educational control. Um, I'll let you burn your fossil fuels to your heart's content, right? And it happens on both sides: the desire to be our God. Yeah, we so, will. We know how to teach your children. <laughs> Yeah. Trust the expert. Trust the experts. So. So it's interesting, right? That, yeah, these things are, are, they're fun to think about and fun to engage because secular society is a lie. Everything is religious. Everything is theological. And that's why podcasts like this exist, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's coming from some, you've noticed I I have a tendency to not want to get political on the podcast. So I don't know if you've noticed that yet, Vicar, but I'm I sure have. Berg and Peter have noticed that. Well, I don't either. But so, all right. Well, well. So Berg, we we uh, this podcast is really important, right? Indeed. So what would uh what would the person have to do if they wanted to support said podcast? All right, Vicar. How about you tell them? Uh, how to get behind the paywall and uh, find out what we really think. Uh, A free paywall is no paywall at all. That's what I say. (laughs) I was about to say, it's just a button. Um, Well, you can email us if you want at feedback at clericalheirs.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clericalheirspodcast. 
And we also have a Twitter at clerical errors P. P for podcast, bro. You want me to do the Patreon too? Yeah. Yeah. We also have a Patreon. Yep. We also have a Patreon. Uh, it says that you can find a link on the website. And we also have a store, uh, store.clericalerrors.org. Yeah. That's have right. Have you seen the store? I have not. Wow. Oh, we'll show you after the podcast. It's pretty yeah. legit. Yeah. For shame. And uh, like for the Patreon, it's not like this is expen- too expensive to run, but every time we need to update equipment and, and keep things running smooth. Every little bit. Yeah. I mean, server hosting. Capitalism, you know, capitalism <laughs> helps, you right. know, lifts up clerical errors, errors, right? That's right. From poverty. Yes. Well, in fact, we should come up with the Ten Commandments of of uh, the Clerical Errors podcast. We should call it the Ten Clerical Errors. <laughs> All right, Peter's <laughs> Peter's uh, the episode, slowly huh? dying inside. <laughs> Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you for listening. This is Bullhagen. This is Berg. And this is Vicar. And may your Ten Commandments be Ten Commandments, bro. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.